0: Welcome to you all from Worcester Talking Newspaper at Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester which is WR51DA The reading team today are myself, Kate Hudman Liz Hill and Sue Perry Our engineer is Barry Hurd Music is by Sheila Joins and our thought for the day by Keir Aldis Your sticks reach you by the administration of Carol Hartle and her team all items are from Worcester News, from articles from June the 18th until today, June the 24th. Telephone, telephone numbers you may find useful. Our, our telephone number here at Colin Chance House is 01905 767766. Worcester News telephone number is 01905 Worcester Live is 01905 for booking in at the Swan Theatre, etc. Malvern Theatre, 01684 Worcester Hub, 01905 Crime Stoppers, 0800 555 Worcestershire County Council, here to help, 01905 ask for option 3. The Community Risk Team for Fire Safety, 0800 032 1155. Nuisance calls when you're contacting BT 1572. Norbury Theatre, which I missed out with the theatres, I'm so sorry about that, 01905 And NHS Direct 111. Crimes, not emergency crimes, is 101. Out of Hours GP Medical Assistance 0300 123, 3211 and that's from 6 until 8 pm. A walking group for the visually impaired is 01684 891 297 07920 144614. And those are all the telephone numbers, which is a, a tremendous amount. Our service is free to you all, but if you don't want if you do want to make a donation at any time, that is always most welcome, as you can imagine. If you have any comments or complaints, in fact anything you want to tell us, you can phone us or put anything small in your wallets when you return them. We're not here every day, but your message will be answered. From our birthday book this week, we send warm best wishes to Duncan Wynne on the twenty sixth of June, Elizabeth Stiles on the second of July, and joining her on the second of July, Alan Pennell. Very best wishes to you all. Today's sunrise was four forty eight a.m. and the sunset tonight at nine thirty three p.m. The obituaries will follow our thought for the day before our final music. And this week's headlines are Teacher Tried to Meet Boy, No Route to Reach Grave, Safety Alert on Magnets, Fresh Calls for Graffiti Walls, Anger Over Closed Path, and Fenced Off. And Elizabeth will start the first uh, reading.
1: A former teacher and scout leader has been jailed after arranging to meet a decoy child for sex, claiming he was lonely in his city flat after his marriage collapsed. Robert Howe, a former teacher at Tudor Grange Academy, was sentenced to two years in prison when he appeared at Worcester Crown Court. The heavy set 34 year old remained motionless in the dock for a few moments and the colour drained from him as he learned his fate and was led away carrying a black backpack. Howe, a bisexual former geography teacher who had been head of department, believed he was chatting to a cute 15-year-old boy. In reality, he was communicating with an undercover police officer working to protect children. Howe had admitted attempted sexual communication with a child between April the 13th and 21st, and another charge of arranging stroke facilitating the commission of a child sexual offence at an earlier hearing at Worcester Magistrates Court. Until these offences came to light, he had no previous convictions and was described by his barrister as leading a pro-social life. He developed cold feet and did not go ahead with the planned meeting at his Worcester flat on April 22nd. Caroline Harris, prosecuting, said, Howe was caught because of Project Atari, which is designed to identify those who commit sexual offences against children using undercover officers as decoys in online chat rooms. Howe had an account with a gay dating site, grinder before moving on to communicate with the boy on WhatsApp. During one exchange, the undercover officer told Howe he was not sexually experienced, but he gave an assurance, we can take it slow, before discussing other sexual activity. The defendant asked, when do you want to meet? There were several references about the undercover officer finishing school and about where the two should meet, said Mrs Harris. Arrangements were put in place for the two to meet and go to the defendant's own flat. Sexual expectations were again discussed, and it was agreed the two would meet after school and go to the defendant's home and engage in sexual activity. Howe asked for selfies and upon receiving one replied, cute, before he asked to see more. The defendant blocked the decoy before any meeting could take place and the remaining messages went unanswered and calls went directly to voicemail. The teacher was arrested on April 22nd as he left work and his iPhone and other devices were seized. Howe refused to give officers his PIN number, but the SIM card matched the WhatsApp number. Howe answered no comment to questions put to him in interview. Alan Williams, defending, said Howe was not only of previous good character, but of previous positive good character, having made a substantial contribution to society as an educator and scout leader pleading guilty at the earliest available opportunity. Mr Williams said, this offence has already destroyed everything that was positive in his life. He has lost his job and will be unable to return to the teaching profession and unable to return to voluntary work with the Scouts. Howe had blocked the the, the decoy at 7.30am on the morning they were supposed to meet. He decided that this was a huge mistake. His actions were, effectively, a cry in the dark, said Mr Williams. There was a trigger for his offending. The trigger was the breakdown of Mr Howe's marriage. He felt a grief for the relationship and a crushing feeling of loneliness. He had to move to a one-bedroom flat. This was on the eve of the pandemic, which deepened his sense of isolation and despair. He was looking for contact, affection and validation from any source. He was on a number of dating sites, heterosexual and grinder. Judge Nicholas Cartwright said it was a mitigating factor of the case that se- sexual activity was incited but no activity took place and that he voluntarily withdrew from the arrangement. The judge said, you are an experienced schoolteacher. You knew all about safeguarding and the risk to children under 16. From adults who have a sexual interest in children, you thought you had come across a 15-year-old boy on the internet. Despite the fact that this person with whom you were communicating clearly indicated more than once that they were still 15 and still at school, you engaged in sexual communication. The judge jailed him for two years and made a sexual harm prevention order for 10 years. This restricts Howe's contact with children of both sexes and his use of the internet and internet-enabled devices, including his use of anti-forensic encryption and file-wiping software and his deletion of his search history. Devices must be made available for inspection by a monitoring officer, and all passwords must be made available.
2: And this is the headline from Saturday, June the 19th. A mother and father have shared their disgust at being forced to use a strimmer to reach their baby's grave in a, in a neglected area of Astrid Cemetery. Paula Miller visited the cemetery with her husband to tend to the grave of their son, who died at just two days old. <coughs> but they found they could not get to the grave due to the condition of the cemetery. The distraught mother said, The grass was up to my waist. She continued, It was only luck that we have had the strimmer in the boot, otherwise we wouldn't have been able to get to the grave. I think it is absolutely diabolical that the grass has been allowed to get out of control. It looks completely abandoned. It is a total lack of respect for the souls that rest here she continued. My husband and I live in Cheltenham now, but we try to come down to Worcester to visit the grave once a month. It is in an older part of the cemetery, of course. We are in our seventies now, but that doesn't mean it shouldn't be cared for. Something must be done about it. They have been neglected. I think it is completely unacceptable, and I am lost for words, I really am. When a Worcester news reporter visited the cemetery on Friday morning, sections of the cemetery were clearly overgrown and some headstones were impossible to get to without wading through the waist-length grass. But three groundsmen were strimming around the graves during the visit. A spokesman for Worcester City Council said, the persistent rainfall two weeks ago made it incredibly difficult to cut the grass. There was also a surge in burials, which meant staff had to split their time between burials and maintenance. We then had a few really hot days which caused the grass to shoot up. The team has now cut it back and are on top of it once again. We apologise for any inconvenience caused.
0: And on Monday, June the 21st. A UK safety alert has now been issued for small high-powered magnetic products that nearly killed a Worcester schoolboy. Ellis Trip 11 was rushed to hospital after swallowing five of the tiny magnets that were used as fake tongue piercings in a viral TikTok video. The magnets became lodged in the little boy's stomach, causing major problems for him. The Nunrywood Wood primary school pupil is still not out of the woods after enjoying several invasive operations to remove the magnets and correct the damage they caused to his bowels and intestines. His heartbroken family say the only good to come out of the nightmare is the new safety alert issued on the fidget toys. The Office for Product Safety and Standards, known as the OPSS, the UK's National Product Safety Regulator, issued a safety alert in May to warn of the risk of serious injury and death from swallowing small high-powered magnets. The OPSS safety alert follows increasing reports of injuries from ingestion of magnets, particularly among children and young people. Businesses and online platforms have now been reminded of their obligations under product safety law. They must now remove from the market product safe products containing small magnets which breach the safety requirements of the toy safety regulations or the general product safety regulations. Specifically, businesses and retail platforms are advised to remove from the market any products that breach the magnetic flux index, index where there is a risk that magnets may be ingested by a child. Clear marking is also needed, said the OPSS. They must also ensure that clear warnings are included with any products that contain magnets where there is a risk of ingestion. The public is also being asked to take appropriate steps to keep these products away from children as ingestion could result in a serious or fatal injury. Social media campaigns have been targeted at parents or guardians so they understand the signs of magnetic ingestion. They encourage people to act quickly to get immediate medical treatment if they believe magnet has been swallowed. OPSS Chief Executive Graham Russell said OPSS has taken this important step because the magnets marketed are changing with an increasing number being incorporated into a wider range of products including jewellery and other novelty items. There have been several incidents involving children and young people swallowing small magnets and there is a very real risk of serious injury or worse. OPSS is working closely with stakeholders and local authorities to gather detailed evidence of the market as a whole and is now taking action against these specific products. Ellis had a number of surgeries after his ordeal. Tiny magnets were discovered during keyhole surgery in hospital. During the keyhole surgery at Worcestershire Royal Hospital, the tiny magnets popped through the bowel and attached to the operating equipment. The Nunnery Wood High School boy was then transferred to Birmingham Children's Hospital for a gruelling six-hour operation where surgeons had to remove five inches of his bowel to retrieve the remaining magnets.
1: A parish councillor is backing calls for street art legal locations as a solution to graffiti after a spate in Wandon Villages. But the best response to deal with graffiti has divided residents, with some calling for those responsible to be caught and made to clean it up. The pedestrian bridge over the M5 in Hill, business, road signs and bins have all been targeted and plastered with graffiti tags in recent weeks. Jerry Donnelly, who lives in the area, has pleaded on social media for the graffiti at a bus shelter in Dugdale Drive to stop after it was tagged three times within just a few weeks. And Warndon Parish Council Vice Chairman Andrew Cross highlighted the legal graffiti spots as a potential way to stop it. Councillor Cross said, Our local residents cover all ages. We are fairly well provided with play parks for toddlers, but for teenagers it's harder. How we engage with them effectively is the million-dollar question. Graffiti has been increasing. There has been the interesting suggestion from residents of blank wall places for people to do art and express themselves. He continued, that would be finding a way to engage with them addressing their needs, understanding what is behind this and what is needed to sort out something that is expensive to clean up. It may be graffiti is a symptom. It has worked elsewhere. Art graffiti is good with murals. It can work well. Graffiti can be an art form. One person's meat is another person's poison. I'm open, open to learning more, finding a decent solution. Councils across the country have tried the devoted areas known as free walls, which graffiti artists use without fear of punishment, reporting various levels of success. John Fraser, Highways Manager at Worcestershire County Council, said he understood the graffiti on the bridge is to be cleaned by Highways England, but as it was non-offensive, it would not have been prioritised. He added Worcester City Council staff are often deployed to clean up graffiti in locations such as the bus shelter as workers have the specialised equipment for the job. John Wheeler wrote on social media about the bridge graffiti saying fresh graffiti tags. I didn't want to come across as a fuddy-duddy but it just looks untidy. Commenting on the bus shelter graffiti Rose Winwood said they should be caught and made to clean it off. While Tracy Giles added, bit of community service in order, cleaning up the graffiti once they catch the little tow rags. West Mercia Police's Safer Neighbourhood Team for Warndon Villages was contacted for comment, but no one was available.
2: A group of outraged residents are campaigning against the closure of a footpath in a popular beauty spot where they say has been used for decades. County Council closed the Riverside footpath in the Northbrook Lido known locally as the Slip due to safety concerns from a landslip. The path was closed four months ago and there is no date for it to be reopened. But signs showing the path has been closed have been moved as the row rumbles on with people angry it is not just the riverside footpath that is closed but also a field that contains a bench area popular with walkers, dogs and families. One campaigner Justin Lee said they have tried to close off this horse field which has full public access and is absolutely no danger people are ignoring this closure and rightfully so Steve Hutchinson said he had used the footpath for 60 years he said, I also canoe past this section. The council have said is eroded and can see that there is nothing going on to repair it. The area is badly overgrown, having been left for four months, and the steps leading up to the road have been destroyed. Tracy Green said, my family and I always did that walk with our dog. We miss it so much, we need to push for it to be reopened. Two eco-homes built in Norfolk Marina are up for sale near to where the path had been closed. Charlotte Brennan said, I don't know of any other sections of the river in this area that have been closed other than here, where the public path crosses private land. A Worcestershire County Council spokesman said, The path is closed on safety grounds. A specialist engineer has inspected the site and considers the landslip is due to natural erosion from the river. We are currently considering options, and at this point we are not in a position to give a timescale for the reopening of the path. He said, The path is legally closed for public safety reasons. If the public are removing signs or accessing the site, they are risking their own and the safety of others, and we would advise them not to do so. In a tweet on March 11th, the Council Highways Department said, Unfortunately, the Riverside Public Right-of-Way, Worcester WR10, in Northwick, has been closed on safety grounds. A section of the path has collapsed due to the erosion of the riverbank. Engineers are assessing the damage, but it is likely it will be closed for some time.
0: Businesses say they have suffered a dramatic decrease in footfall after the main walkthrough at a shopping centre was cordoned off due to a broken roof. It has been a month since the entrance to Gate Shopping Centre at Chapel Walk was shut off after safety concerns about debris falling from the roof. The closure has effectively cut off an easy route between High Street and Broad Street. Esther Shutka, Owner of the little card company in the Crown Gates Friary Walk said her business had suffered. She said, Footfall here is bad. The flow of people are no longer coming through because the broken roof area has been closed off. Most of my customers are over 60, so those who used to park near Reindeer Court now have to make a special effort to come to us, which is hard for them. Nigel Mee, owner of outdoor clothing store Rowan, also said he had been affected by the closure. He said after the pandemic we had started to pick up before the barricades went up, but all the footfall that comes through Crown Gate has stopped. You can't see us down the street. This end of Broad Street is always quiet as anything, even when the town is heaving. Mr Mee said he felt the broken roof had come at exactly the wrong time on the back of his takings, already being down due to lockdown throughout the pandemic. He said, this is the last thing we want coming down, coming back after Covid. The timing couldn't be any worse. However, Mrs Shuttke pr- praised her golden customers for rallying around and visiting the shop after a customer had posted on a plea for people to support the shop on Facebook. She said, someone put something on Facebook and people have been coming from everywhere. We had visits from customers I hadn't seen in two years. We've never asked for anything and it brings a tear to my eye to see how kind people have been. The impact of the pandemic is still fresh for independent stores in the area. She said a lot of my customers are still anxious being outside and going shopping because of the virus. We are thankful the council and has been incredible. We wouldn't be here right now without them. Last year when we opened up I was doing crossword puzzles. I didn't see a soul in sight. Mrs Shutker said, for me to make a profit, I need to sell a lot of my merchandise as my prices are so cheap. It was really worrying. I thought I needed to find something else to do, close down the business, find a job and become, become normal people again. But Worcester people have been amazing. I don't have bigger words to thank them. The entrance was shut off on May the 21st. The Worcester News has contacted Crowngate for a comment, but nobody was available before we went to print, and that was for today.
1: A book celebrating the art, poetry and crafts created during lockdown by a group of local women has finally had its official launch, six months after it was first published. 10 by 10 lockdown features 10 women artists, nine from Worcestershire and one from Shropshire, who discovered paint, pencil, camera and words to express their fears and hopes as the nation locked down in March last year. The book was published last November but plans to celebrate its publication were put on hold when the country went back into lockdown last winter. Retired Worcester teacher Penny Perrett compiled and edited the book, which tells a powerful tale of experiences during the country's first lockdown. I have some brilliantly creative women friends, said Penny. Some of them started posting their work on Facebook during lockdown, and it struck me that there should be a way to have something real to capture all the creativity rather than it staying online. Penny, working with visual artist Sue Haslam, asked 10 women artists to share 10 ideas they had worked on over 10 days between March and June last year. The book includes photos taken by GP Maggie Campbell as she started running in the early morning before beginning a day's work. Lucy Dennison's collages and paintings of the cats who kept her company during lockdown and Wrenschis, a form of haiku, written by Anne Greer and Sarah Haywood, reflecting their thoughts during lockdown. Since publication, the book has sold more than 350 copies, raising £750 for Women's Aid. 10x10 10 10 Lockdown can be ordered online from a special Facebook page, Lockdown 10x10, 10 10, and costs £10.99, with all proceeds going to Women's Aid.
2: GPs in Worcester are working together to provide new services for patients modelled on their successful COVID-19 vaccination centres. The new programme launches this week and will be known as Citywide Services. It aims to offer increased capacity as well as a wider range of primary care services accessible to all patients across Worcester City. All services will be run by Worcester City Primary Care Network a collaboration body of 10 GP surgeries in the city. What the vaccine rollout has given us is a new way of looking at local primary care services and new ideas around how GP surgeries can work together to deliver services more efficiently citywide, said Dr Nicole Berger, Clinical Director of Worcester City Primary Care. A pilot clinic was run on Tuesday, June 22nd patients requiring ear care services, with patients from GP practices across the city receiving treatment at this first hub. Two more hubs are set to open in July and August, running regular clinics for ear care patients, with these set to continue throughout 2021. July will also see the launch of new Doppler clinics where patients needing vascular leg assessments will be invited to attend at a similar city-wide hub. In August a new first contact physiotherapy service will begin allowing patients to see a physiotherapist or podiatrist on the day, be referred for scans and receive further treatment without the need for a referral from their GP. Nicky Redshaw, PCN Operations Manager at Worcester City Primary Care Network, said, We're all very excited about these new clinics, which we hope will make a real difference in supporting patients across Worcester City. We're optimistic that they'll allow patients with these concerns to be seen faster, which in turn gives GPs more time to see patients with more specific requirements on a case-by-case basis. Worcester City Primary Care Network also offers patients increased access to clinical pharmacists, social prescribers, wellbeing coaches, lifestyle advisors and visiting paramedics.
0: A Worcester pensioner says that she feels unable to visit her son's grave due to the lack of facilities at the cemetery. Christine Down says she no longer feels able to visit her son in St John's Cemetery as there are no toilets in the grounds. She said, I find it disgusting really. I was reading the Worcester News and noticed the story about Astwood Cemetery and thought it's about time that St John's Cemetery was sorted out too. They closed the toilets ages ago and now they are only open to the groundsmen. But what about the relatives? My husband and I used to like going down in the summer to be near our son for a few hours, but we just can't do it anymore. The closest toilet is the pub down the road, which is a long old walk. I've heard of people having accidents before getting there and it's very humiliating. St John's County Councillor Richard Oodle said he is hopeful the toilets will be reopened, but the City Council have not confirmed their return. Councillor Oodle said, we need to find a way to return public toilets to St John's Cemetery. They were initially closed due to vandalism, but we can look at imaginative ways to reopen them. The City Council is currently looking at improving facilities for both those employed and for people visiting St John's Cemetery, and I have asked for public toilets to be included in that work. The request is currently being assessed and costed. I remain hopeful that we will soon be able to reintroduce the toilets, maybe with restricted access, only with a RADAR, disabled toilet key, which will allow disabled people with a special key to use the toilets safely. St John's Cemetery is an important facility in St John's and is valued and respected by most residents. I hope we will soon be able to confirm the reopening of the toilets and I will certainly continue to campaign for an improved provision of services at the cemetery. A Worcester City Council spokesman said, like many cemeteries across the UK, St John's does not currently offer toilets and other facilities. The feedback we receive from visitors to the site is largely positive, but we sympathise with residents who do find this to be off-putting and we are keeping the situation under review.
1: The owners of a card and bookshop who refused to close during Covid lockdowns are set to stand trial next month. Grace cards and books were slapped with fines totalling nearly £20,000 for continuing to open despite not being recognised as an essential trader by the authorities. The shop was fined £1,000, £2,000 and £4,000 before a £10,000 fine on February the 10th, when the owners of the shop, Alastair and Lydia Walker-Cox, were filmed arguing with West Mercia Police and Wychhaven District Council officers in what later became a viral YouTube video. The owners argue, as they sell items offered by the shops that were still allowed to trade in lockdowns, including newspapers and confectionery, that they could legally stay open, a claim disputed by Witchaven District Council. In an interview posted on Rebel News' YouTube channel, the pair later also claimed there had been discrimination on the grounds the shop was selling Christian publications. After refusing to pay a penny of the fines, the owners appeared at Kidderminster Magistrates' Court on May the 28th, pleading not guilty to four breaches of the Health Protection Coronavirus Restrictions Regulations. The four counts relate to alleged breaches in November, during the second national lockdown, when all non-essential retail was required to close between November the 5th and December the 2nd. The alleged breaches came after Worcestershire Regulatory Services, acting on behalf of Wychhaven District Council, issued a prohibition notice for refusing to close in line with national restrictions. A spokesman for the authority explained the alleged breaches in the third lockdown between January 5th and April 12th are part of separate proceedings with no further update on those. A trial has been set for August 17th at Kidminster Magistrates' Court. The Worcester News approached Grace Cards and Books for comment and was told they were not speaking on the matter during the legal proceedings but Mr Walker-Cox did add they had had support from people coming in their shop. Meanwhile, Worcestershire Regulatory Services has revealed Grace Cards and Books is the only prosecution brought against a South Worcestershire business for an alleged breach of coronavirus rules during lockdowns. Thirteen notices were served on businesses, three in Worcester, four in Malvern Hills and six in Witchhaven. And 109 businesses across South Worcestershire were warned about their future conduct. 46 in Worcester, 39 in Whichhaven and 24 in Malvern Hills. A Worcester Regulatory Services spokesman said, These formal actions have largely been undertaken due to breaches at non-food businesses or pubs. 109 businesses across South Worcestershire were warned about their future conduct. The vast majority of these businesses subsequently changed their method of operation and formal action was not required. Cases of lungworm confirmed in
2: county. Lungworm hotspots in the county have been revealed with vets warning thousands of dogs are at risk from the parasite. The damp weather across Worcestershire in May is believed to have caused slug and snail activity to explode, meaning dogs are at greater risk of contracting lungworm in the garden, on walks, and even by drinking from water bowls or puddles. Dogs can be infected with the potentially fatal parasite when they eat common slugs and snails in their garden or on walks, They can also pick up lungworm while rummaging through undergrowth, eating grass, drinking from puddles or outdoor water bowls, or picking it up from their toys. The slime of slugs and snails can contain the infective lungworm parasite that can cause disease in dogs. There have been 220 cases of lungworm reported within a 50 mile radius. 12 in WR2, WR3 and WR4 postcodes. The main concern for the vets is the number of dogs that are not adequately protected. Research revealed only 21% of dog owners surveyed had given their dog a lungworm preventative treatment in the last month. Vets are warning that the signs of lungworm are not always obvious and puppies can be especially likely to eat slugs and snails due to their inquisitive nature. The infection is much easier to prevent than it is to cure, experts say. A campaign by animal health business Ellen Co is warning dog owners of the effective parasite that can have on their dogs. Vet and campaign supporter Luke Gamble said, I care passionately about this campaign because so many dog owners are unaware of the dangers of lungworm. The key thing is understanding that over-the-counter medications can't protect dogs against lungworm, so it's vital that owners speak to their vet to make sure their dog is continuously protected. Lungworm has been spreading year on year within the UK, with 2,871 cases reported across the country, according to Ellen Coe's Lungworm Map.
0: A university lecturer is raising awareness for breast cancer by keeping fit after she was diagnosed with the disease just two days before her birthday. Amelia Morris, 28, originally from Worcester, has vowed to keep active throughout her chemotherapy treatment after finding a lump in her breast. She was diagnosed with stage 2 breast cancer and has found exercise a way to keep the side, uh, side effects of her treatment at bay. She said, I was really worried I was going to be bedridden for the whole thing, so I was determined to stay active. I have two days when I feel gross after my chemo, but then I bounce back to normal. I just think it's a really good outlet and has helped me to stay sane. Miss Morris said the news came as a complete shock as there was no family history of the illness. She said, I literally literally did not think it was going to be cancer. I was diagnosed on April Fool's Day, believe it or not. I'm in the middle of my treatment and then I'll be having a lumpectomy. In the meantime, I suppose I feel like I want to keep doing things that I enjoy. It doesn't matter if I don't have any hair. The law lecturer, who works in London, has signed up to compete a 26-mile hike with her friends for the cancer charity Macmillan. She said, We all grow up in Worcester and we have been friends since college. Some of them have been in my life since I was five years old. The two things that have always helped me in life have been exercise and the wonderful people that I have around me. So it feels appropriate to be underdoing, undergoing this hike with my best friends. Miss Morris said she was inspired by the emotional and financial support the charity gives to cancer sufferers and their families. She said, I think it's important to note I'm pretty lucky. I have a good job. I am paid sick pay and I am able to buy nice wigs. Not everyone has that opportunity and I'm quite determined to show how much I'm thankful for that. The Gower Peninsula Macmillan Mighty Hike will be taking place on July the 11th in Wales. Miss Morris will be competing the walk with friends from Worcester. Jessica Hill, Leah Dennison, Rosie Hazel, Jodie Packwood, Emily Jones and David Parfitt. The group has also set set up a Just Giving page with a £10,000 goal. She said, We've done 20 miles together so far, so we're confident about the actual hike. I've run a few marathons marathons before and I really want to run the London Marathon next year for cancer research. My main goal is to raise awareness and just give back to the charities that help people like me. The group has raised more than £6,700 so far.
1: Up to 50 homes could still be built on part of a former city golf course, despite councillors saying no to the plan earlier this year. Worcester City Council's planning committee meets this week to make a final decision on the proposal by Housing Association Bromford to build the homes on part of the former Tolodyne golf course. Councillors rejected the plan in February but will meet again to decide whether or not to give the homes the go-ahead as their decision went against the recommendation of the City Council's planning officers. Officers have again recommended the plan is approved ahead of the committee meeting. The membership of the City Council's planning committee has changed since May's local elections and has a new chairman in St Peter's Councillor Mike Johnson Councillor Andy Roberts, who spoke about the plan at February's meeting as the homes would be built within his Warndon ward, has joined the planning committee. He was critical of applicant Bromford at the meeting over its claims about an oversupply of green space in Warndon, adding it was ludicrous to draw lines through green space and did not want to see green space in Worcester rationed. A campaign was set up to stop the homes being built with people living nearby, saying the plan would mean swapping priceless natural fields for pollution and congestion. A petition against the plans attracted more than 800 signatures and more than 25 objections were made against the plan to the City Council, with Warden Parish Council also objecting. Campaigners said the fields are next to a local nature reserve and used regularly by families and young people, dog walkers and nature photographers who already have very few places left to go. Bromford has proposed a mix of one to four bedroom homes of which 35 would be for rent and 15 shared ownership.
2: City Restaurant has been named among the best in the county by the Good Food Awards. Bulti Mahal on Aswood Road has been nominated for the award based on the food establishment's exceptional levels of good quality. Customer reviews and hygiene ratings. Mazidul Hassan Shakil, manager of the restaurant, said, We are so grateful to our local community as our associates for supporting us to deliver smiles to our dedicated customers. Together we shall make history. The restaurant has been a popular spot for curry fans since it opened in 2011 with a 4.5 star rating on TripAdvisor. He said, in recognition of our efforts during the coronavirus lockdown, we have been shortlisted as a finalist in Good Food Award and Good Food Guide again. We are so honoured and privileged to have such recognition. Mr Shakil has urged for locals to vote for the restaurant online. He said, we need your support to be the winner of the Good Food Award. Please cast your valuable vote. The restaurant is among two others from the Worcestershire area nominated for the award. The Queen Elizabeth Inn in Elmley Castle also boasts a 4.5 star rating on TripAdvisor and has also received a Certificate of Excellence from the comparison website back in 2018. The pub is known for its traditional British cuisine. Royal Spice, a South Indian restaurant in the heart of Worcestershire, is the third nominee from the county. The establishment has a five-star rating on TripAdvisor, with one reviewer calling the food outstanding.
0: Fly-tipping in Worcester remains an issue, despite plans to bring back the popular Saturday skip scheme. Green Party councillor Neil Laurenson said the scheme which sees a skip set up in different city locations each week, does not always help recycling. He said having the skips can disincentivise recycling with a lot of the bulky household items being sent to landfill instead. Councillor Laurenson said we need to recycle whenever we can. Some of the materials being discarded in skips could be given to local charities for reuse. Residents ought to be supported in using the recycling centres in the city. This would include the County Council taking up the concerns that many people have about access to Bilford Road Recycling Centre. Worcester the City Council announced it was bringing back the scheme as part of the renewed efforts to improve how clean the city is. Under the scheme a skip is set up in a different location each Saturday with people encouraged to bring their larger goods. Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs data shows 341 fly-tipping incidents were reported to Worcester City Council in 2019-20, 43 more than the previous year. Dumped waste was found on Worcester's pathways and bridleways 108 times, accounting for 32% of incidents, 31 discoveries were made in back alleyways and 70 on roads and pavements. In March, we reported how two St Peter's residents, Ken Renshaw and Ken Carpenter, had cleared away a fly-tipped sofa which had been dumped under a bridge. Since then, Mr Renshaw said he has noticed a slight drop-off in the amount of dumped rubbish. He said, interestingly, since that story began in March, there have been fewer fewer instances of fly-tipping in St Peter's. The few that I have noticed have been domestic items and have perhaps been an intended consequence of queuing in order to use refuse and recycling centres since the pandemic began. I used Billford Road a couple of weeks ago to dispose of some garden waste and queued for around 30 minutes in order to use it. I understand the need to keep the site COVID secure, but not everyone is as patient as me. I think the Saturday Skip scheme will help make disposing of household items easier to do, particularly if the item is too big or awkward to fit in the average family car. Ultimately though, if we want to protect our environment, we need to find ways of increasing the amount of household waste that is recycled so that less waste ends up in landfill sites. And now we have some sporting stories. Uh, This is a cricket story. Uh, ben Cox has been appointed as Worcestershire Rapids Vitality Blast Captain for all games where Moen Alley is available due to England's commitments. The Rapids wicketkeeper, Batsman, will lead this side for the first time this summer in Tuesday's encounter with Notts Outlaws at Trent Bridge. Moen, who has been linked up with England for T20 duty, had a big part to play in the appointment and believes Cox will thrive in the role. I think Ben can thrive off having the responsibility of being captain, he said. I think he is a top guy and is well respected amongst the team. And I think he will lead the boys really well. There were several candidates who have done it before, but I think it is nice to give Ben a go and I'm sure he will get go well in the role. He has got a good head on his shoulders and good knowledge of the game. Ben has been around for many years now and he knows the game well. I think he will do an outstanding job. Head coach Alex Gidman praised Cox's batting performances so far this season and explains why he fits the bill as skipper. Ben is in a great position on the pitch to be able to lead the team, he said. Tactically, he gets a re- really good idea of the situation of the game. With the bat, he is batting very maturely and that number in the number six, 56 spot sorry, and being very effective in the game now we've got into the competition we've got a rhythm going and some excellent role clarity and ben is in a great position not to be able to run that a great position to be able to run that sorry to to who to as to who is going to be the most effective at certain times of the game Yorkshire Vikings inflicted Rapids' first defeat of their blast campaign last week as Johnny Bairstow hit 112 to lead his side to a 94-run victory at New Road. Worcestershire were hoping to return to winning ways last Friday, but their game with Northamptonshire Steelbacks at New Road was cancelled due to rain tonight they make the trip to trent bridge to face knots outlaws looking to move back up the north group table where they currently sit in six but with a game in hand on most above them
1: and now um to warriors back row forward and england international alex matthews has been selected in the 24 strong squad for the 2020 tokyo olympic rugby sevens tournament Matthews, aged 27, played a starring role for Warriors during the 2020-21 Allianz Premier 15 season, which helped her earn more caps for England in this year's triumphant Six Nations Championship. The flanker has played 40 times for her country and goes into this summer's Olympics on the back of Stellar campaign with Warriors. We're all so proud of Alex, said Warriors Women Director of Rugby, Joe Yap. She has worked so hard this year and thoroughly deserves this opportunity. Abby Brown and Megan Jones will co-captain the women's squad, which features a number of players who have experience of playing on the World Rugby Sevens Series and have played international rugby for a number of years. Women's head coach Scott Forrest said, Selection was very tough. We've had 22 players involved in the programme since we started in March who have created a very competitive environment. Every one of those players has been so important. And it's not just about the successful 13 players who have been selected. If we are successful in Tokyo, it's going to be down to the whole squad the whole 22, not just those who are going out to perform at the Olympic Games. I've seen massive improvements in the team and what we've managed to do since March. We're now excited to see what we can do in 41 days' time from now. For the 13 that are selected, when you look at the squad on paper, it's very exciting. This squad for me has the potential to go and win a gold medal. We have 41 days to go until the first game and understand that there are improvements we need to make. We've definitely got the potential and that is really exciting. Team GB women's squad comprises Holly Aitchison, Abby Brown, Abby Burton, Deborah Fleming, Natasha Hunt, Megan Jones, Jasmine Joyce, Alex Matthews, Helena Rowland, Hannah Smith, Celia Kwanza and Emma Uren.
2: And um, this is about um, the current um, Euros. Gareth Southgate says starting spots are up for grabs as England begin preparations for next week's tough-looking Euro 2020 last 16 tie at Wembley. The Three Lions won a European Championship group for just the third time as 1-0 victories over Croatia and the Czech Republic bookended the drab nil all draw with Scotland. The reward is a round of sixteen meeting under the arch on Tuesday, which is not only moves logistical headaches but allows England to call upon a partisan home crowd for a knockout clash which is set to be far from straightforward. France, Germany, Portugal and Hungary are the possible opponents and Southgate will watch the conclusion of the so-called group of death with an open mind about his selection. Asked if he knew his ideal starting line-up in the last 16 against the group F runners-up, Southgate said, for the last 12 months, whenever I've written a team sheet down anything more than two days before a game, it's changed so at the moment no. We'll watch the matches on Wednesday, we'll see how everybody is once we get back to St George's and through the next couple of days of recovery and we'll go from there. I think what's clear is that there are some areas of the team that we've been able to build closer to what we think is full strength as the last resort, sorry, as the last sort of four weeks or so has gone on. Players have arrived late from European finals or we've been unable to get them on the pitch following injury or lacked fitness and I've always felt that we were going to have to grow into this tournament in terms of selection. That's why the squad has been so important. Southgate called England's group group win a real collective performance given a challenging backdrop that continued this week when Mason Mount and Ben Chilwell were forced into isolation. Scotland's Billy Gilmore tested positive for coronavirus following Friday's match, and the Chelsea duo were identified as contacts, much to the confusion and frustration of those around the England camp.
0: Frankie Knight took matters into his own hands when his scheduled first attempts at triathlons were cancelled due to the pandemic, tackling his own personal event for charity. The Year 10 pupil at Bishop Perrone C of E College, Worcester, tackled the Olympic distance for the National Rheumatoid Arthritis Society he swam 1.6 kilo- kilometers in 32 minutes before cycling 40 kilometers in 1 hour and 50 minutes 1 hour and 50 minutes and finishing with a 10 kilometer run in 53 minutes he said i was disappointed the triathlons i was hoping to compete in had to be cancelled and i didn't want to wait until they were rearranged for next year so i decided to take part in my own I'm pleased with the times and although I was so tired at the end, I'll definitely be doing more. He continued, my mum suffered from rheumatoid arthritis, so the NRAS is a charity my family supports and the money will go towards research into finding a cure. I was hoping to raise £500, but at the moment I'm on an amazing £700.
1: And now we have an item from Michael Grundy's um, Memory Lane uh, which is put together in a book entitled Worcester Memories. And this is about the River Severn from a busy river highway to leisure and pleasure. The Severn at Worcester today is a tranquil waterway for holiday and pleasure craft and for waterborne sports enthusiasts. Yet, over 150 years ago, it was one of the busiest highways of trade and commerce in the world. Haulage vessels in their hundreds plied the River daily from the coast to the developing industrial heartland of the nation. For a century from the late 1700s to the 1880s, the Severn was, as historians describe it, the Great Iron and Coal River. In that period, virtually every tributary of the Severn had its forges and furnaces. But the golden age of prosperity for the Severn evaporated almost as quickly as it had developed. The death knell was sounded by the arrival of the railways, which took the vast proportion of haulage away from the main river arteries. A forward-thinking Worcester Corporation in 1890 had Diglis Dock built in the hope of recreating the great Severn-bound transport trade. However, it became something of a white elephant in that regard. Though during the 20th century, Diglis Dock served a new role as a major petrol storage terminal, bringing some resurgence of river cargo transport in the form of large petrol tanker vessels. That extensive petrol terminal has now made way for the large-scale redevelopment of the Diglis area, with houses and apartment blocks. The heydays of leisure and pleasure use of the Severn at Worcester came through the Victorian and Edwardian eras, and up until the last war, when the city was served by a fleet of elegant passenger steamers. These sleek, steam-driven craft, with their canvas awnings fluttering in the breeze, conveyed passengers on popular pleasure cruises from the south and north Keys, either upstream to Camp and Holt Fleet or downstream to Upton. Among the best known of these steamers were the Seven Bell, Duchess Doreen, Seven Princess and Holt Castle. As a Worcester observer once put it, The steamers made a lovely sight and were extremely popular with trippers to the city and locals alike. The Worcester Pleasure steamers plied the Severn from Worcester until the 1960s, but then disappeared. Alas, most were broken up, but one, the Severn Bell, survived and was restored, taking to the Thames at Maidenhead as a luxurious charter boat. Since the 1960s Worcester has of course been served by a handful of more modern pleasure and charter vessels
2: and this um, article is about an enterprising trio doing their bit for the planet. Environmental action and entrepreneurialism can go hand in hand that's the lesson 10-year-old Ella Munslow and her friends are teaching peers, parents and teachers, with their new business venture. Ella and her friends Sophie Barnfield and Eva Davis were so moved by a school viewing of Sir David Attenborough's Our Planet that they set up their own small business selling custom-designed keyrings made from recycled plastics. Rather than bin crisp packets taken into school, the enterprising trio of students heat shrink them and give them a bespoke handmade design complete with inspiring slogans such as Be the solution, not the pollution and keep the sea plastic free. Since launch last month, their business Green Life has attracted loads of interest with 170 individual orders placed. In fact, they have even had to build their own administration system, complete with order forms and dispatch notes. Their hard work and innovation has won them plaudits from their head teacher at Clayne's C of E Primary School, Simon Gent. Mr Gent said, We are really proud of the girls, not only for their fundraising efforts, but more importantly for their efforts to spread awareness about climate change and how we need to look after our world. Not only are they great environmental ambassadors, but they are great entrepreneurs too. Having already raised more than £250 from their efforts in the first month alone, the girls will divide the profits from their enterprise between the Worldwide Fund for Nature and the school itself.
0: More than half of the city's adults have now received both Covid jabs, the latest figures show. A total of 46,580 people in Worcester have received two doses of a coronavirus vaccine, around 52% of the estimated population of the city. NHS figures show that as by June thirteenth, two thousand 2,951 people received their second job in the previous week. Of the people that have received both jobs, 1,723 people were aged under 25 and 1,497 people aged between 25 and 29. Figures show 3,831 people were in their 30s and 5,459 people were in their 40s. Going through the age gaps, 11,893 people in Worcester who have received both jabs were in their 50s. 9,698 people were in their 60s and 7,960 people were in their 70s. The figures also show that 62,500 people in Worcester have received at least one dose of a COVID vaccine, 4,519 of which were aged 80 and over. Across the county, a total of 312,000 Um, and 69 people have received both COVID jabs and including 58,531 in Bromsgrove and 45,541 people in Malvern Hills. A total of 38,850 people in Redditch have received two doses of a COVID vaccine and 72,793 people across Wychhaven, which includes Evesham, Persia and Droitwich, have had two jabs. In the Wyre Forest, a total of 54,774 people have received two Covid jabs. The latest Public Health England figures show the number of new coronavirus cases recorded in Worcester jumped by 83% in the week up to June the 13th to 33. A total of 202 cases were recorded in Worcestershire, an increase of 52%. The number of new cases increased significantly in Malvern Hills to 25, a rise of 316% when compared to the previous week. A total of 35 cases were recorded in Witchaven, rising by 250% in a week, and the number of new cases dropped by almost half in Redditch in the same week, falling to 19 A total of 68 cases were recorded in Bromsgrove, a rise of 62% compared to the previous week.
1: The funeral has taken place of a much-loved Worcester great-grandmother. Elizabeth Richards died on June 4th at the age of 86, leaving nine children, 28 grandchildren and nine great-grandchildren. Mrs Richards, who was born in Aldershot, lived in Malvern and Worcester, most recently at Perry Manor care home. Her son, Will, said she was a woman of exceptional strength, kindness, generosity and love, and her children, grandchildren and great-grandchildren will all miss her warm, inspiring and loving presence. Mum was a hard-working woman, a survivor, and a beacon of light that drew her family and friends to her over the years, almost sixty of which she spent raising her family and working in our wonderful historic city. She will be greatly missed, lovingly remembered, and, after painstakingly penning a book about her life, she'll never be forgotten. I have known the bottom of life's barrel and drunk its bitter wine, but I've also known the greatest love, sweet mother of mine, it's a quote. Her funeral service was held on June the 21st.
2: Is Worcester really one of the most cultured cities in the UK? According to a new study, it is. Interior design company Dowsing and Reynolds has put together a new study detailing which cities are the most cultured, with Worcester coming in at number four overall. The city was only beaten by Bath, Chester and York, with the study taking into account cultural infrastructure, listed buildings and museums, chicness, boutique hotels, interest in style, the number of online searches relating to the interior design and future potential, the number of and quality of interior design courses, Overall, the city was rated on those metrics out of 100, with its results coming in as Culture 19, Chic 52, Interest 75 and Future 2. With notable attractions such as the Shambles and Worcester Cathedral adding a slice of history, Worcester scored high for interest, though its interior design course offerings came in virtually empty. Worcester is about to undergo a major modernisation and cultural upgrade, with work including a renovation of the Arches and a multi-million pound redevelopment of Angel Place. The Arches project, headed up by the Worcester Cultural Partnership, comprised of Worcester City Council, the University of Worcester, Severn Arts, The Arch Company and Worcestershire County Council aims to transform the area into a modern workplace for creative industries and a cultural destination for tourists and local communities. The huge project has been awarded more than £3 million in funding from the Cultural Development Fund, which is administered by Arts Council England. Andrew Round, Corporate Director of Worcester City Council said, It's fantastic to see construction starting on site at the arches. As well as generating a new creative hub for the city, this initiative will also improve links between the city centre and the River Severn. In addition to this refurbishment, Worcester has been awarded a further £17.9 million from central government to regenerate Angel Place. This will see the creation of a new theatre and performing arts venue, less than five minutes' walk from the Arches. Together, these developments will considerably strengthen Worcester's cultural offer, transforming the northern part of the city and increasing footfall in the area. The culture metric was worked out by measuring the number of listed buildings and museums in each city on a per capita basis.
0: Robots that help children isolated by cancer keep in touch with friends and classmates have now been given out to eight children in Worcestershire. The robots, also known as AV1 avatars, allow the poorly youngsters to talk to their friends and the outside world while they are receiving treatment at home or in hospital. The project is the work of the Grace Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust which marked its fifth anniversary this week. Dr Kelly said the response to these wonderful robots has been amazing. For these isolated children they are the only way to contact the outside world whilst they are in hospital. To date we have supported eight children with this project. The charity decided to fund the robots after hearing about them from the family of Ben Crowther, a Tamworth boy who died from cancer in 2018 at the age of seven. The GKCCT funded a robot for Worcester schoolboy Oscar Saxelby Lee while he was suffering from leukaemia to allow him to keep in touch with classmates at his school, Pitmasterton Primary in St John's, whilst he was receiving treatment in hospital.
1: A new vegan restaurant in Worcester has opened in New Street. Be the Change New Street, run by husband and wife Zoe and Anthony Chester, boasts a 100% vegan menu and seating for up to 70 people. The restaurant is located at 15 New Street, the former home of Saffron's Bistro, which closed earlier this year. Mr Chester said the plans have been a long time in the making. He said, We have been wanting to do this for almost a year now and have finally bought the premises and got it all up and running. It is going so well. We are already booked up over the weekend. There is a real need and demand for vegan food here in Worcester and it is fabulous to be able to meet that demand. We have tripled our team and can now provide quality food and drinks faster and to more people, which is all we want. The pair also own Be The Change, Baker Difference, which opened three years ago in the corn market. The, the cafe will remain open and will continue to focus on coffee, cakes and breads. Both locations are also offering a dine-in and a takeaway service. In a statement on Facebook, the owners said, We're delighted to tell you that Worcester's vegan scene has just exploded with the opening of Be The Change New Street. A massive, massive vegan thank you to all of you who have supported us thus far. We couldn't be launching this incredibly exciting venture without your support over the last three years. We hope that what we have lined up for you at BTC New Street and back at BTC Baker Difference in the corn market is a thank you from us. The restaurant is already taking Worcester by storm with one happy customer commenting, amazing food. Well done to you all. Um, This is a, a bit about fabulous fashion from
2: stylish 1950s. 1950s saw huge changes in the way people dressed, improved manufacturing processes and the development of new synthetic textiles meant that ready-to-wear clothing was almost as affordable as buying the fabric and making your own. Christian Dior introduced new ideal silhouette with sloped shoulders, a clinched waist and rounded hips with a very full skirt. These two beautiful examples are from the Worcestershire County Museum collection, both dated to between 1957 and 1958. Other popular garments, including this time, were cocktail dresses, two-piece suits for women and practical yet stylish house dresses. The trench coat, popularised by actresses like Marlene Dietrich and Katharine Hepburn, Hats were either small pillbox styles or large brimmed and saucer-like. For men, after spending years in strict military garments, a more comfortable approach was taken to the suit. Grey flannel suits with a shirt and tie were worn with a handkerchief. Hair was slicked back using brill cream and new hat styles became fashionable, including the black Homburg fedora bowler and the pork pie. The 1950s was the era of the teenager, the new economic group defined in 1959 by British social scientist Mark Abrams. Teenagers were identified as aged 13 to 25 with huge spending power and a rapidly changing taste in a variety of products, records and magazines to drinks and cosmetics. Their clothes expressed the rebellion, which was expressed in new exciting rock and roll music and stars such as Elvis. Teddy boys were an important British subculture of the time, wearing clothes inspired by the dandies of the Edwardian era, with pointed shoes, tight trousers and long jackets with velvet trim. These wonderful dresses are on display in the new exhibition, Lavish Living, Worcestershire in the 1950s in the Worcestershire County Museum at Hartlebury Castle. Mm -hmm. The opening celebration for the exhibition is on Sunday July the 4th 11am till 4pm with music from the Bluebird Bells, a fabulous 50s fashion contest and 1950s inspired children's activities. Everyone is welcome. The exhibition explores the changing society of the decade and showcases a range of beautiful and truly nostalgic objects and images from Worcestershire's not-so-distant past. Find out more and plan your visit at museumsworcestershire.org.uk
0: The pandemic has created a surge in internet traffic. By the end of 2020, 3 in 10 retail purchases were made online and over 80% of people in the UK were using the internet for retailing and service provision, such as banking and insurance. Coronavirus is, without doubt, a major factor in our turn to online trading. With that comes the inherent threat around online security. Banks and card companies have invested a whopping £1.6 billion in a wide variety of measures to combat cyber theft, and it's not all bad news. Out of every £10 of attempted fraud, £6.73 has been thwarted by measures put in place. However, while cyber crime was down by 5% in 2019, online fraud still netted almost £800 million. Fraud, whether online or on the phone or on the doorstep, relies on our trust, our fear and also our greed, as criminals coax, threaten or promise their way into our confidence. They use every trick and their patter is scripted specifically to get us to lower our guard and give them what they want, access to our money. Whatever these, crimes claim, off, these criminals claim, offer or promise, take a minute to think things through. We don't win prizes if we haven't entered a competition. Tax payments and refunds are handled through the employer's payroll department and anything from the NHS comes in the post, not as a text, email or phone call. This is a little list of how to protect your money. Never clicking on links in a suspect message. Never pressing the keypad phone digit on a suspect call. Never giving security information to a third party. Never allowing cold callers into your house. Always using antivirus or firewall protection. Always keeping software up to date. And visit the National Cyber Security Centre's ncSC.gov dot uk dash section dash information for individuals and families and if you can't manage that yourselves um, then please get a trusted family member or friend to just have a look at some of those things Uh, it's always it's good to have those things uppermost in your mind
1: police have confirmed that the four men banned from every hospital in england will only be able to enter to seek treatment, not visit loved ones. It has been reported the four men had received the blanket ban after videoing in Worcestershire hospitals at the peak of the pandemic, claiming the effects of COVID-19 had been overstated. The videos were filmed at the peak of the strain on the NHS and just days after the arrests, The number of UK daily deaths within 28 days of a positive Covid test hit a record high of 1,820 on January 20th. Matthew Hopkins, chief executive of Worcestershire Acute Hospital's NHS Trust, has shared his outrage and disgust at their behaviour. He said... I am sure anyone who saw or heard about these videos would share my sense of disgust and outrage that anyone would seek to peddle such toxic fake news while NHS staff across the country are facing the devastating impact of the pandemic every day. Their actions were reckless and their agenda of denying the impact of Covid is both ignorant and potentially life-threatening. We have a very difficult job to do and this kind of stupidity risks damaging staff morale at the worst possible time. Inspector Lee Page from West Mercia Police said the men were not wearing face coverings or socially distancing and some of them were challenging hospital staff, accusing them of spreading fake news and claiming there was no national emergency and no pandemic. The behaviour of these people disrupted the running of the hospitals, tied up valuable resources and caused alarm and distress to patients and staff, some of whom made official complaints to police. As a result of their activities, West Mercia Police issued written warnings to all four people under Part 4 of the Anti-Social Behaviour, Crime and Policing Act 2014. These warnings directed them not to enter any hospital in England unless for medical reasons.
2: University of Worcester staff have raised thousands of pounds for charity after successfully completing a a gruelling set of physical challenges in a 24-hour period. The University's latest charity challenge saw teams compete in a series of activities raising more than £17,000 for blood cancer charity Cure Leukaemia. Activities, some completed in soaring temperatures, including a 19-mile walk through the night from the Malvern Hills to Broomhall, followed by a 15-mile early morning canoe from Broomhill to Tewkesbury Marina, a 19-mile cross-country run, a basketball match and a water assault course. Every team completed all the activities which took place at University of Worcester venues, but also on routes around Worcestershire, well within the time frame. Originally planned for last summer, the event was rescheduled due to Covid-19. Competition was fierce, with seconds in the end separating first and second place teams, but a team from the University's School of Sport and Exercise science staff came out victorious. Cure Leukaemia was chosen as the University's Charity of the Year by staff who had heard about the remarkable story of University of Worcester nursing graduate Brooke Evans. Brooke Evans now works as a haematology nurse at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in the same building where she received life-saving treatment five years earlier and has been raising awareness and funds for the Birmingham-based charity for a number of years. This will be the University's fourth charity challenge. Organiser Tom Taylor, the University's Assistant Director of Security and Operations said This year's competitors really showed their fitness but above all their determination with all finishing the challenge despite some very hot temperatures for some of the toughest events we have ever had in our charity challenge. You can donate to the challenge by visiting justgiving.com slash team slash charity challenge O W.
0: As Euro fever continues to grip the nation, Age UK is encouraging older people to sign up for a version of the beautiful game just for them. Age UK, Herefordshire and Worcestershire's walking football sessions start on July the 9th from 11am to 12.30pm at King George V Playing Field, Ash Avenue. The sessions will be held weekly with the first taster session free, costing £3.50 after that. Walking football is backed by the Football Association and Sport England as a way to get more older people active in a sociable sport. Caroline Savage from Age UK said, It's been a difficult time for older people in our community during the pandemic and our walking football programme will be a great opportunity for older people to feel active again.
1: And now we have some news from uh, Sarah J. Morgan, who's the Chief Executive of Worcester Live, who writes, There have been some small adjustments needed following the recent announcement. There have been for us all, but thankfully we have continued to sell our shows in a socially distanced capacity beyond June 21st. On Friday, the renowned folk group Show of Hands swapped from their traditional venue of Huntington Hall and graced the stage of the Swan Theatre for two socially distanced performances, one of which was a sellout. One patron wrote to us following the performance and she shares it as she says the sentiment is so important for the recovery. And this patron writes, I just wanted to pass on my thanks to all the team at the Swan Theatre for making this evening such a success for my husband and I. We have been very cautious throughout the pandemic, as we are of a certain age. However, the procedures put in place were just fantastic. We felt safe, organised and completely at ease from the moment we entered the building to the moment we returned to our car. Show of hands were as excellent as ever, and we're both feeling very uplifted and happy that we took the plunge and decided to return to the venue. Thank you again to you and the team. After such a great experience, we hope to return again soon. We're always delighted to receive feedback and are equally thrilled that the COVID measures we have in place are making our patrons feel safe and secure. Early in the week, the youngest audience's members joined us for the delightful Snail and the Whale and we were equally thrilled to welcome back our first school party since the pandemic began. These small steps are significant to us and show that our audiences are regaining the confidence to return to indoor theatre. Thank you for supporting the arts at such a crucial time.
2: The number of um, Delta cases rise in the city. More cases of this virus um, have been recorded in the city, new figures show. Public Health England figures show 24 cases of the Delta variant had been recorded in Worcester by June the 16th. That was eight more than the 16 cases recorded the week before. The cases of the now dominant Delta strain, first identified in India, rising rapidly across England, vaccinations have opened up to all adults in the country in an effort to limit the spread. Those identified in the latest week were among at least 5,109 cases of the variant recorded across the West Midlands, the fifth worst affected of England's nine regions. The Northwest continued to have the highest numbers identified with twenty nine thousand Delta variant cases recorded there. Separate data shows that while the Delta variant carries a higher risk of hospitalization than the Alpha, formerly known as the Kent variant, analysis shows that two doses of a coronavirus jab after around ninety percent protection against hospital um, hospitalization a phe report shows 806 people had been hospitalized with the delta variant by june the 14th an increase of 423 compared to the previous week of them 527 were unvaccinated and only 84 had received both vaccine doses dr jenny harris chief executive at the uk health security agency said it is encouraging to see that hospitalizations and deaths are not rising at the same rate, but we will continue to monitor it closely. The vaccination programme and the care that we are all taking now to follow the guidance are continuing to save lives. Please make sure that you come forward to receive both doses of the vaccine as soon as you are eligible. Don't drop your guard. Practice hands, face and space.
0: A county employment lawyer has alerted care home owners they must not sidestep the government's expected compulsory vaccination programmes for frontline care home workers. The Department of Health and Social Care has completed a six-week consultation on mandatory vaccination requirements within the care home sector. Sally Morris, partner and head of employment at law firm manufacturing solicitors, said, we have been waiting for some time now on the first steps to introduce mandatory COVID-19 vaccines. Given the government was concerned about the low uptake by care home staff when the vaccine programme was launched, it looks very likely that the care home industry will be the first in line for compulsory jabs. She continued, what is really important for care home groups, owners and employees to understand is that there will be no choice Frontline workers will be forced to have the vaccine within a certain time frame, reported to be 16 weeks. That will no doubt put pressure on management teams, but they simply must take the right steps to ensure compliance.
1: A policeman who tasered ex-footballer Dalian Atkinson and then kicked him twice in the head has been cleared of murder but convicted of manslaughter. Jurors at Birmingham Crown Court took 18 hours and 48 minutes to reach unanimous verdicts on PC Benjamin Monk, who claimed he was put in fear of his life by the former Aston Villa, Sheffield Wednesday and Ipswich Star on August 15, 2016. Jurors are still deliberating on an assault charge relating to Monk's colleague and former girlfriend, PC Mary Ellen Betley-Smith. According to the charity Inquest, no police officer has been found guilty of murder or manslaughter over a death in custody or following police contact in England and Wales since the 1980s. Monk told the court he ran in fear after Atkinson, who appeared to be having a mental health crisis, made death threats and smashed a glass door pane at his childhood home in Meadow Close, Telford, Shropshire. The 43-year-old officer claimed the former Premier League star was trying to get up when he aimed kicks at his shoulder in lawful self-defence as a last resort after running out of taser cartridges. Mr Atkinson went into cardiac arrest after being taken from the scene in an ambulance and was pronounced dead in hospital at 2.45am, about an hour after he was tasered. Prosecutors said Monk lied about the number of kicks he had delivered to the victim's head by claiming he could remember only one aimed at his shoulder. The officer also claimed to have no recollection of placing his foot on Atkinson's head as colleagues arrived at the scene. Although he conceded he must have kicked the Esks footballer twice in the forehead because bootlace prints proved he had. The officer maintained his actions were lawful self-defence made necessary when Atkinson made to get up
0: and now our thought for today read by Sue
2: and this is from Proverbs 9 verses 10 to 11 the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding for through wisdom your days will be many and years will be added to your life
0: the obituaries for this week uh, begin with Yvonne Williams, who died aged 71. Her um, funeral is a private one, it's already taken place. Um, the funeral directors are B. Sweet Sons, 12A, Oldbury Road, Tewkesbury, GL20, 5LZ. Arthur Reynolds died um, on the 6th of June. Uh, his funeral will uh, take place on June the 24th, that is today at 11.30. Um, the funeral director for him uh, is Worcester Funeral Service, Kilbury Drive, Worcester, WR5-2NE. Kenneth George Noak died aged 86 on the 24th of May. His funeral service was at the Vale Crematorium and will take place on tomorrow on Friday the 25th at 12 noon. Any inquiries to E. J. Gummery and Son, sixty-eight seventy Embassy Road, Worcester, WR three seven EU. Dorothy Edna Maynet. She died peacefully, aged ninety-nine, on June the first. St Martin's Church, Holt. Maybe um, donations. I'm sorry. Does that do, donations maybe sent for St Martin's Church, Holt, to F. W. Spilsbury, funeral director. Up 12 Upper Housel Road, Morven, WR 141TL. Bridget Ann Miller died on May the 27th, aged 68 years. All inquiries to AV band funeral directors. Um, her funeral uh, will be held on Wednesday, June the 30th, 2021 at 10am. Jeanette Burbeck, aged 85. She died on the 11th of June. Her funeral is on Friday the 2nd of July at 11.30 at Worcester Crematorium. All inquiries to E.J. Gummery and Son, uh, 68-70 Ombersley Road, Worcester. Trevor George Berry died aged 79 years on June the 15th. uh, His funeral will be... um, Now it doesn't actually say when the funeral is which Is a shame, but it doesn't. Um, uh, inquiries uh, certainly and um, any donations may be made to um, uh, what is it? It looks like Emma Booston Funeral mm-hmm. Services, 3 New Road Bromyard, HR 74AH. Telephone number 01885 489900 bob cook robert john but called bob i'm sure by all his friends and family died on 7th of june aged 84. Um, his funeral was private at worcester crematorium with family and invited guests only um, inquiries to uh, ej gummery and son 68 to 70 on Busy road worcester ina rose cooper Died on the on the sixteenth of June, aged eighty-four. Private committal, attended by family and other friends only. All inquiries again at E. J. Gummery and Son, sixty-eight to seventy Ombersley Road, Worcester. Marjorie Merrill died on the twelfth of June, aged eighty-two. Uh, she will have a funeral service on Thursday, the 1st of July at 1.45 at Worcester Crematorium. Invited family and friends only due to Covid restrictions. Inquiries again to E.J. Gummery and Son, 6870 Ombusley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Mick Powell, called Brummy by friends and family, died on the 7th of June, aged 72 years. Uh, he has a fu- his funeral will be uh, on Friday the second of July at twelve twenty-five, and will travel through Grisham Road en route to the crematorium. Um, his uh, family flowers only, please, but donations to St. Richard Hospice may be sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services, and their telephone number is zero one nine zero five seven four eight eight one one. And Graham Blackett. Died on the sixth of June, aged eighty seven years. A uh, private funeral service will take place at the crematorium on Wednesday, the thirtieth of June, but the service can be viewed online using the following link https. www.obits.com. username GUKA five seven five seven password eight two four. 752 if you haven't got all that down uh, um, accurately or it's a bit confusing uh, please contact Bedwardine Funeral Services 01905 748811 and those are all the obituaries this week